the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Good afternoon, Northern California. Welcome. Just about five minutes after the hour, 5 p.m., as we welcome you to another edition of Lifeline. Keeping you company Monday through Friday at this time, as we typically do, addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. Weary is an area in my Christian walk that I will admit I struggle with. Not even just from time to time, sometimes almost continuously. And let's face it, these days there's a big laundry list of things that we can all be worried about. Now, it's not just limited to, will the Giants win the playoffs? But it's things like financial problems, family troubles, health problems, things of this sort. And suddenly we find ourselves in a whole heap of worry. But what does Jesus say about worry? Well, he tells us, first off, in Matthew 6 and 25, not to be anxious about life, not to worry about what we're going to eat or drink or about our body or what you're going to wear. You have to um, set aside concerns over things like food. In fact, realize that even as God cares for the birds of the air, as they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet our Heavenly Father feeds them, so too then should we recognize that we are of greater value than they and therefore should recognize that being anxious cannot add even a single hour to our lifespan. In fact, medical doctors will often tell you it can detract from your physical health. So how do we deal with worry and being anxious in life? Anxious, Choosing Faith in a World of Worry is the title of a new book by Amy Simpson. And Amy, great to have you on the program. Thank you. It's great to be here with you. Well, this is a topic I think all of us uh, deal with at one layer or another. I guess maybe the big room divider here would be those that um, that have a healthy amount of worry. Um, I think sometimes that fight-flight response to things going on around us is an important one to, to have. And, but then, of course, there's the other side of this coin, and that is when worry becomes excessive. It's no longer normal. It is over-concern or, or maybe a combination of a couple of things – over-concern, and as you suggest in the book, uh, coupled with some under-trust. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I, I do feel like it's important to make some distinctions, be, you know, because um, what, what I'm talking about here is not pathological anxiety. It's not, um, you know, an anxiety disorder, which really needs to be addressed through maybe counseling, um, sometimes medication, sometimes both. Um, but really the choice to engage in worry. And you're right, anxiety is uh, and fear are created to be healthy tools for us. They can help keep us safe. They can help us make wise decisions and avoid situations that we should avoid. Um, sometimes I think when people think they need to address the problem of worry in their lives, they really try to get rid of all fear and anxiety 
and you know we don't need to rid ourselves of those things completely they are positive healthy tools but worry you know just pointlessly worrying about something is different and you know choosing to engage in that behavior does reflect um, I think often reflect a belief in our lives that needs to be corrected Let's drill down to some important definitions here. First, you make a, a distinction, I think, that it, it can be a decision. This is something that we engage in, that there is an aspect of this that is that is voluntary. Is that so? Yeah, absolutely. Now, with something like an anxiety disorder, the anxious response, that fight or flight, is not voluntary. And even with someone who has an anxiety disorder, that's not voluntary. It's really a healthy normal process that's working too well it's working overtime and the body or the brain doesn't know when to shut it off and that's different what i'm talking about is the worry that we do engage in voluntarily even if it's so habitual that we think we're not choosing to do it it is an action whether we realize it or not and it is something that we can um can address you know it's not out of our control is there an aspect of this which is um, passed along through family lines? And I ask that question because oftentimes I think of people that kind of tend to uh, uh, fit into that so-called worry more category that might tend to come from a family where it was very common. You know, dad worried about finances, mother worried about whether or not the bills were going to be paid on time, or sometimes whether or not dinner was undercooked or overcooked. I mean, it, it can go from the sublime, I suppose, to the ridiculous. Do we tend to sometimes model that if we've seen um, a parent in our uh, youth who excessively gave time over to worry? Do we tend to sometimes pick up those habits? Yeah, absolutely. Just like any other behavior or any other habit, um, worry can be modeled for us. And, and unfortunately, as we engage in it and indulge it, we um, make it more likely that it will become habitual, maybe even get to a point where it's um, really destructive to our health, or it feels like something we can't control. And, and more than that, as your book goes into in great detail, it can go beyond something that is uh, simply um, obsessive to the destructive power of worry that can not only uh, overcome and impact our relationships with um, our spouses or our children, but even ultimately have a negative impact on our relationship with God. Yeah, exactly. Worry is really, I consider it really an act of rebellion on our part. Um, first, you know, first of all, doing something that God has, has asked us not to do, asked his people not to do. Um, but also, you know, choosing to often, like I said, there's a belief behind that worry. So often it's a, a belief that is something like, um, I believe the world is my responsibility, <laughs> or I believe God is not strong enough to handle this, or um, you know I'm I'm worrying because I'm trying to see into the future. I'm trying to understand what's going to happen so that I can decide what I should do now, and that's not something that God has given us. You know, He hasn't given us the future. So sometimes we are trying to when we we worry, we are actually trying to undermine the. The created order, the limitations that God has placed on us, um, the dramatic 
um, distance between us and him as far as how much higher his ways are than our ways. Is there a direct correlation, too, based on your research on this book, Amy, between um, worry and the the desire to want to control the future um, pitted against our ability to trust God? Yeah, absolutely. I think... Um, the the future is one of the, our greatest sources of worry. And when we stop to think about wh- what exactly we're worrying over, when we say we worry about um, our, what's going to become of our kids or our jobs or um, the economy or something like that, often we are worrying about tomorrow or next year or five years down the road. And what we're really doing is, again, trying to live in a place we can't live trying to access something that God has not given us. And what that does, in effect, is pull us away from what he has given us. You know, it's a distraction from the present, um, from what God has placed in front of us and called us to, where in favor of something that he has not given us mm. and that may never be ours. And may also, therefore, um, potentially drive a, a wedge between ourselves and God, too, because we're we're trying to control something that he has not given us control over. And, and obviously, then, too, demonstrative of maybe a notion, a little bit of that, that sin nature creeping in, where we feel as if we can do a better job controlling things than God himself. Yes, absolutely. Sometimes it's a problem of of misunderstanding ownership as well. You know, mm. we tend to think that we own the people and possessions in our lives, and we don't. Um, scripture teaches very clearly that everything and everyone belongs to God. And when we get that confused and begin to think that, you know, we really have ownership and we can't afford to lose the things we have, or, um, you know, that we are responsible for our children or our spouses or our employees or the other people in our lives, um, we begin to take on, again, a measure of control that's inappropriate for us and, and uh, sort of forget or sideline the role that God plays as, as our sovereign God. We're visiting today with Amy Simpson, a look at anxious choosing faith in a world of worry. A brief time out, back with more as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, back to the conversation on a topic I think that impacts a lot of us. It's one perhaps that uh, you struggle with. I know it's one that I struggle with, and that is the issue of worry. Family troubles, financial problems, whatever it might be, you worry. But what does that say of your relationship with God, and how do we address the destructive power of worry? That's what we're dealing with today, her new book, Anxious, Choosing Faith in a World of Worry. Jack in San Jose. Jack, hello. Welcome. Come on in with your comment or question for Amy Simpson. Thank you, Amy, for uh, saying thank you, KFAX, for taking my calls. Um, I do have uh, a lot of anxiety and worries. Well, I did have them in the past, and I uh, came across my Christian mentor gave me Philippians 4, 6, and 7 that I have practically memorize that verse, and I uh, recite that always as far as uh, taking my memory, my uh, worries, and just submit them to God and let Him take care of all the problems that I'm uh, facing. Pretty much, we, we all created worry-free 
uh, I mean, uh, we are filled with worries around us. We worry just about everything. And we think that, you know, we want to have a control of our life and we want to be in charge of it. We want to be in control of it. But, and that's where we lose it. You know, we do, and that's an excellent observation, Jack, and maybe, maybe you can address that. It's not that having concerns and worries are, are not normal. Um, that's not something that we should say, oh, I think worried about something. i got to go and confess. Uh, there's a healthy degree of worry. There's a natural degree of worry, but it's what we do with it. It's how we respond, and as the caller suggests, uh, being able to surrender to Scripture and surrender to God and, and use many Scriptures that exhort us about how important it is is to not worry and to surrender those concerns to God can really be a big key toward getting out from underneath the destructive power of worry, can't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's important to recognize that any habit of ours, any behavior is really a reflection of, of something we believe. And so if we're, you know, if we have a habit of worry, we're worrying destructively, we need to examine, you know, what's the belief behind that? And the way to combat that belief is to reaffirm what is actually true. You know, we're believing something probably that's false, like I'm in charge of the world, or, you know, everything's up to me, or I can control this, um, or I can do a better job than God can. And we need to tell ourselves things that are actually true. And, and reciting scripture is a, a wonderful way to do that, because those are God's words, and they are true. All right, we thank you so much, Jack, for your call. That leaves a line open at 888-367-5329-888-F-O-R-K-F-A-X. Is there a healthy degree of worry, Amy? And if so, how do we, we keep that in balance? I mean, for example, there are days when I've left the house and I, I get halfway down the street and I worry, hmm, did I, did I remember to turn off the stove? <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. I mean, there's certain types of worry that I would seem, uh, would seem to me can be, can be healthy if they're kept in balance. Yeah, and I would, I would really actually make a differentiation between um, there between worry and anxiety because I would say that you know there's a healthy that's a healthy degree of anxiety you know that um, if we're not sure whether we turned off the stove we should we should wonder about that we should have a, a level of anxiety about that that will drive us to either go back and turn it off or turn it off next time you know it helps us to make wise decisions to anticipate things that might happen um, but if you were if you were to not do anything about that and you were just to simply worry about it all day mm. you know that's not a healthy response and that's not a productive response you're not actually accomplishing anything um, to address that problem so, so when worry comes about then there, there needs to be some kind of responsive action to it not just to continue and wring your hands and and uh, pace the floor but to either surrender over to God or you know again in the example gee I left the house I wonder if I turned the stove off I'm worried about that well yeah, I can sometimes we're worrying because we're, we're we're putting off taking action on something we actually should should do and we worry about it instead um, and God, God, I would suspect then, always wants us to take action, whether it's responsive, like 
turning the car back around and heading home and double checking and finding out, oh, guess what? I did forget to turn off the stove or putting it in proper perspective and saying, you know what? Uh, This is a crippling obsession. Uh, It is threatening my well-being. I am trying to control something in the future. that I cannot control, and I need to, therefore, take positive steps, positive action to surrender that to God. Exactly. And sometimes it is a matter of of acknowledging that we can't actually take any action. There may be a situation that we actually don't have the power to um, to change or to control, and in those cases we need to acknowledge. And, you know, we often speak of surrendering control to God, but what we're really doing when we do that is um, we're not surrendering anything. We're just acknowledging what's already true. You know, we're not giving God um, the responsibility for for the world. He already has it. So we just need to submit ourselves to that. It's a little bit of, again, a sin nature here, too, isn't it? Because we're trying to wrestle from God control over things over which we have no control. Yeah, exactly. It's You know, it goes back to the Garden of Eden, really, in, in trying to be be like God or take on God's um, place in relationship to the universe. And we simply... We simply don't have that that power, and, and we simply have not been given control over everything. And thank God that we have not been, <laughs> um, you know, because we certainly would not make it better. We're visiting with Amy Simpson, author of Anxious, Choosing Faith in a World of Worry, something that all of us need to take a look at. I mean, there's a whole ton out there to be worried about. The problem is that sometimes we don't keep it in proper perspective. We allow the the obsessive nature of worry to become destructive. And, of course, that destructiveness can not only be crippling from an emotional standpoint, but also destructive in terms of the impact that it has on our relationships. Ultimately, our relationship with God, because as Amy suggests, oftentimes this issue of worry is one where we, we're trying to control something that we cannot control that is uniquely in the hands of God. And we're suggesting maybe what, through worry, that we can do a better job than he can? We might not articulate it that way, but maybe our actions would suggest otherwise. A brief time out, back with more as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Well, as we have suggested on today's program, there are a lot of reasons why and things going on in the world around us and in your own personal life to worry. Lots of reasons to worry, all except one, and that is that God commands us not to worry. In fact, as suggested by our guest today, we need to take a a strong look at our relationship with him and trust issues if we become overwhelmed by worry. And toward that end, this is an interesting topic in, in your own personal life. Um, Amy, how have you struggled with this? Yeah, I mean, this book really comes out of my own experience. I I have really spent a lifetime being a, a worried and anxious person, um, but not really recognizing it for what it was, because I could always point to somebody else around me who was w- more worried than I was. Um, but God just really um, began to open my eyes to my own worry habits a few years ago when I was um, sitting in a, a church service, and, and I heard uh, Isaiah 40 being read. And and for some reason, you know, I've been a Christian my whole life. I've heard these passages many times, but for some reason I heard them, heard this in a new way. And, and in Isaiah 40, when it talks about God says, you know, who can compare to me? Who is like me? No one. I am, you know, so strong and so mighty that I know all of the stars by name. And because of me, 
not one of them is missing. And I, for some reason, I that just hit home for me in a way it hadn't before, where I realized, you know, this this God who is talking to his people in ancient times through the prophet Isaiah is the same God that I claim to trust and to worship. Mm-hmm. And here I am kind of stewing in worry and in anxiety and, and trying to control things that are outside my control. And, uh, you know, if he is... <laughs> keeping track of all the stars and he knows all of them by name boy why do i think that i can't trust him with the things that that worry me and that threaten to overwhelm me so i i you know i've been on a journey with that and god has been addressing that with me and and writing this book project you know is a, a part of that as well so i am still on that journey i am certainly not worry free um but god god's changing my habits and my heart's there and he's doing it really through addressing my the beliefs that fuel my worry. Is a big part of this, too, about priority and perspective? I ask that question because we're reminded of um, what Jesus says in Luke twelve twenty two, where he says, I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough to eat or clothes to wear. Life is more than food, your body more than clothing. Don't be concerned about what to eat or what to drink. Don't worry about such things. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world, but your heavenly Father already knows your needs. Therefore, seek the kingdom of God first above all else, and he will give you everything that you need. And the reference there to unbelievers puts this in perspective, doesn't it? Worry is what the world does. Worry, and obsessively so, is not what we as Christians should do. Right. We are called to live differently. And we live in a very worried world. We live in a culture that not only worries a lot, but also values worry as a way to show that we're important, we're engaged, we care about the world around us, and is suspicious of people who are at peace. But we are called to live at peace um, and to live a life of faith and trust. And that is, a, that is a, a thing that will make us stand out as Christians in this world. And you're right, it's, sometimes it is a matter of um, it's certainly a matter of perspective. Sometimes it's a matter of priority as well, because worry can be a way um, of revealing to us that we are prioritizing our own concerns above those of God's. Mm. And sometimes it's just a matter of focusing on, okay, what is important to God in this situation can completely flip our perspective and make us realize that we are worrying over things that, you know, in, in God's <laughs> um, economy, aren't don't matter that much the bigger perspective i mean because otherwise we can be crippled as much by worry as by spiritual myopia that 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 sense of 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 short-sightedness or narrow-sidedness that doesn't allow us to look beyond the current problem and again i want to be careful in underscoring that there are oftentimes uh, worries that come along over legitimate things and making sure that you um, have enough money to pay the mortgage to keep a roof over the head of your children if your husband has lost his job or your wife has lost her job that's a legitimate concern Absolutely. and yet it shouldn't be a crippling one and if we allow it to do so doesn't that suggest a bit of a spiritual narrow-mindedness here that we think somehow that god can't see above and beyond the totality of all of our needs, including whether or not the rent is paid? Yeah, exactly. Sometimes we get lost in our own um, perspective and forget that there is a much larger perspective. And of course, that doesn't mean, you know, I don't mean to minimize the things that, that make us worry. And God doesn't either, really. If you look in Scripture, God never tells us, don't worry because there's nothing to worry about, or because the things that you worry about aren't unimportant. He says, 
you know, when he tells his people not to worry in Scripture, he always tells them why. And the reason he gives them is never based in um, their circumstances. It's always based in who he is. It's always that we are not to worry because of who God is. And, and so regardless of our circumstances, he is greater than those circumstances. And that really takes us back full circle to the initial portion of our conversation where we made that worry-trust uh, correlation that, that really at the end of the day, an extreme degree of worry is suggesting an extreme degree of lack of trust and the ability to supplant worry with trust um, will will ultimately not only quite frankly give us a better night's sleep but also enrich our spiritual walk and deepen our relationship with Christ. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and, and actually the you know making a habit of practicing trust rather than than worrying sort of replacing the worry with not only a change in our beliefs but a change in our practices mm-hmm. can be a powerfully faith-deepening activity. So this is something you have to purpose to do. Yes, it is, especially in a, in a, a world where, uh, you know, the culture around us encourages us to worry, and a world where there are plenty of, of reasons to be worried. You know, if God is not on his throne, if God is not in charge of this world, and if he doesn't love us, we have every reason in the world to be worried. Otherwise, to recognize that this is not a one-and-done sort of approach that in fact you need to renew your trust in him as a previous caller suggested um, uh, committing to memory certain scriptures that help you gain uh, a proper balance and focus on relationship and who's really in charge because as Amy points out if God is not on the throne and God is not in charge we are in a whole ton of trouble and therefore you have every reason to worry yourself right into ground if, however, you believe that God is still on the throne, still in charge, that he is the founder and creator of all that is around us, and there is nothing that is outside of his control, then it's a matter of surrendering the worry over to him, saying no to the enemy who wishes to preoccupy you with worry, and learning to deepen your trust in him. The book is called Anxious, Choosing Faith in a World of Worry, and the book newly published by InterVarsity Press. You'll find it at the usual suspects, as well as through Amazon.com. Amy also has a website that you can check out, amysimpsononline.com. And Amy, thanks so much for the time and the insights tonight. There's Amy Simpson, Anxious. All right, be anxious for nothing. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Americans are becoming less faith-filled, especially among young adults, according to a new poll. Judging by such markers as church attendance, prayer, and belief in God, the trend is more pronounced among young adults. In fact, the share of U.S. adults who say they're absolutely certain that God exists fell 63% in 2015 from 71%, just a scant six years before. The percentage of Americans who pray every day, attend church services regularly, and consider religion important in their lives is also down. The trend most pronounced among young adults, as we say, with only half of those born between 1990 and 1996 absolutely certain of their belief in God, compared to 71% of those born between 1928 and 1945. But in spite of these trends, the thirst for something real is as high as it has ever been. So what do we make of this? And as we look at some of the events taking place around the world with uh, 
the explosion of global terrorism. Can we conclude that Christianity is dead, or is there an awakening that is slowly beginning to take place, and perhaps some places that we've been least likely to expect it? With some answers, we're joined now by evangelist and best-selling author Nikki Cruz. You know of, of course, as uh, the subject of the wildly famous book, The Cross and the Switchblade, also author of Run, Baby, Run, which has been translated into more than 40 languages worldwide. Meanwhile, Nikki Cruz, great to have you on the program. Thank you so much, uh, Greg. I'm, I'm so very happy to to hear somebody from the Bay Area because my wife... She was from there. That's when I stole Gloria away from from the Bay Area, and I took her to the East Coast, to New York. So I'm so happy to hear somebody from the West Coast. Well, and we're pleased to have you coming to the San Francisco Bay Area in April, and we'll share more details a little bit. But I want to first give some perspective to this poll that I mentioned here, uh, indicating that uh, young people in particular in America seem to be becoming less faith-filled or, or less religious. And yet, in spite of these trends, there's some amazing things taking place in parts of the world that otherwise we would have thought would be the last place that God would be afoot with a special move of his Holy Spirit. Now, you have had two major crusades um, in in the past months. Uh, You've just returned from a massive crusade all across Argentina, where literally tens of thousands of people were attending um, evangelistic services all across the country. But I want to go back even further to your visit to France in May of a year ago. Now, once again, of course, Europe very much in the news, most recently with the Islamic attacks in Brussels, Belgium. Of course, we know that Paris was the victim of those horrific attacks, first at the offices of the uh, satire magazine Charlie Hebdo, more recently the Paris attacks. Tell us what is God doing in France today? Uh, You know, Craig, I do believe that... uh the condition in the United States uh, have been, uh, in a way, uh, especially the Christians, uh, we we have let this thing happen. Uh, this is spiritual decay or this is spiritual situation because some way, somehow, uh, we always look America, the 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 country or the free. But when you go to Europe, or you go to like I've been all over the area from from Russia to to Latvia and and Italy, other places, I find now that France, I did seventeen tours there, crusades, and in Paris, that place where they killed the eighty people, I was I was the last person who spoke there, and there was more people outside than inside. And there, I want to I want to warn the people in the United States that the people in France they are, are waking up because they began to feel the same thing that you were saying in the beginning that there was a tremendous spiritual emptiness and these things they are now they are open because every place that I went it was so packed that there was more people outside than inside and the hungry of the people the young people. You know, there was a place that they they have about over 3,000 young people. They spend three days just praying and worshiping the Lord and asking the Lord to 
taking all over France so they can evangelize France. So, so the fear is there. Yes, the fear is there. But this fear had bring a tremendous revival of faith. People began to, uh, to awaken to the situation that the only thing that is left out that there's a God that came to this earth by the name of Jesus Christ that could be the answer for all the situation that is taking place. It was amazing how people run to the altar. I was in a place that it was more Muslims. Right there, there was over, over uh, about close to 5,000 of, of them. And you should see the way they were running to the altar. And, and uh, it, it, it was amazing. And... and and in Lyon, uh, they had to have about four different places to accommodate the people from the main place. And, 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 and people, you didn't have to put, you didn't have to put a show. You just be yourself. You just let the Holy Spirit work through you. And 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 Greg, if you go over there, they are open. They began to be more open. Uh, they're more. Concern about American evangelists that many we have going over there with the spirit of prosperity and all these things, and they were that that's the reason they closed. But they began to see that the other people, many Christians, uh, uh, people that they know that they have the facts that you spoke about the facts. That is the thing that that they are looking for. They're looking for reality. And right now, they're looking for their own country, for the all the young people and the pastor, they are doing every everything to stir up the spirit of the youth. And the amazing thing is that uh, Europe, of course, had been the cradle of not only Western civilization, but Christianity for centuries. Then we've seen this slow trend toward secular humanism, but it, perhaps particularly in the wake of some of these horrific terrorist attacks that uh, people in France, particularly young people, as you say, Nikki, uh, have a hunger for something real. They see the, the emptiness in, in, in wealth and finance and prosperity. Uh, they see the futility of, of many of what the occults try to offer. At the end of the day, they see politics is certainly not an answer, and they're looking for something real upon which to build their lives and give them a sense of hope. And of course, that singularly exists in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you think some of this trend, too, is because of the response out of fear? We certainly saw it here in America after the 9-11 attacks, where churches were filled to the rafters on the Sundays immediately following that, when people realized, I think, just how fragile life really is. Yes, you got a point there. Uh, I believe that that I've, uh, and I think that uh, that I'm going back again I, 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 in September. I'm going back, and I'm going. And this time, they have a place that accommodate about ten thousand, and they're going to be. I want to spend two nights with the gypsy. The gypsy, they follow me all over, like a caravan, and sometimes they come for 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 24 hours and then pack themselves to, to get into the, the crusades. In this time, I want to go to them, and then I'm going to go to Paris, and then I'm going to go to Lyon and other, other, other cities. About, and this time, 
I'm going to go to Seventh City. And I'm going to just go over there. And a lot of people t- uh, tell me, especially my, my pastor told me, why you pick all the most dangerous area. And I say, because I died. I died when I was 19 years old when I gave my life to Jesus. I'm just resurrected. There's nothing else but to give your life totally to Jesus Christ and to do what Christ, he is the protector. He's the one who keep you, uh, keep you with that kind of spirit uh, of resurrection. So, uh, so there's no fear here. The only thing that is here is go and do and make disciples, just like Jesus told us to do. And, 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 and I'm so happy. I, when I left, I, I, I left very tired because you got to go by airplane, train, cars, and all of buses, and all of this. And it took me about two weeks to recuperate. But man, when I saw the glory of the Lord coming down in a magnificent, humble way, and I saw young people crying. Uh, if, if, if the officer sent you a, a, a video where you can see these children, this kid, teenager, crying, sobbing so hard. This is French kid, blue eyes, all kinds. And, and, and the people in the hotels, in the street, in the restaurant where we used to come, we used to talk about Jesus. And, and they were happy. That's something. That's and that happened in Argentina. Argentina, there was no play that could hold the crowd. They said the, 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 the play was so packed, the stadium was so packed that there's people. There was more people outside, and they had to listen. And when I made the altar call, they were coming from everywhere, from the street. They used to make the the ways right through through the crowd and come forward to give their life to Jesus Christ. I do believe. In, in the days of Billy Graham, I do believe in the day of Dave Wilkerson, I take the power of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God to really bring convictions into the hearts of the people. And right now, the United States, I'm concerned because the United States have become a, a place uh, that drugs are it taking, it, it taking place. And you know what is, what is dangerous, Greg? What I see that is dangerous is that the prescription drugs, it is the thing that is, is infiltrated not only the, 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 the ghetto, but the middle class, the upper middle class. And one pill, just one pill, just to ease the pain, the physical pain, when this is more a, 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 a spiritual pain. A soul pain. One pill costs eighty dollars. So what happened is that these people, rich people, then go in the street, and there they find now the heroin is cheaper, and that's the reason you heard all this news that our city are turning into heroin streets because and the young people, they they are they are cut up into any kind of drugs that can make them high. And and the United States, we feel that what happened, is we, we, we cut up in the books of number, and we forgot to walk through the pages of the book of 
act where there's action, miracle, signs, wonder. This is not different. By the way, this is ready to explode. Either we go all the way here and lay our life for the truth, for who Christ is, and this nation can be changed. Because right now, Argentina has a revival. There's a revival in Argentina. The president, the new president, is, is open is open for everything. The other one who left, it was a communist. So, so I, I do believe God has something to do with all of this. If you've just joined our conversation, our visitation today with evangelist Nikki Cruz. Nikki, by the way, is coming to the San Francisco Bay Area. He's going to be speaking on Thursday, April the 21st at 7 p.m. at Christian Cathedral. That's located at 2433 Coolidge Avenue in Oakland. And then on Sunday, April the 24th at 1 p.m. at Victory Outreach Hayward. Complete details available on Nikki's website at NikkiCruz.org. That's Nikki Cruz. Dot O-R-G. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of our conversation as Lifeline continues. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 